Halitu Chimichukma, welcome to Real Indigenous, where these real indigenous peoples get real about all things indigenous that is on our screens and everywhere in between. And this episode is a big long one, just like your wallet. It's so big, we're breaking it up into two parts. Yes, this is part one of our special holiday episode. That's right, kids out there, it's Christmas time, Kwanzaa, Festivus, Hanukkah, Winter Solstice, and all kinds of other good shit that happens this time of year. Time for powwows, giveaways, selling and buying from pawn shops, and probably doing <laughs> both of those on the same day, and finally getting all that shit that's piled up during layaway during the year. That finally gets taken out. And more importantly, some of y'all lucky motherfuckers be getting y'all's per cap. <laughs> so to celebrate Christmas, we're going to talk about this classic, perhaps the most favorite movie of just about every Indian out there, and most definitely one of the best Christmas movies ever made. We are going to talk about Pow Wow Highway. And so just like all those cats that's on the island of Misfits Toys, we got our own Misfits. So let's meet our very own real indigenous Misfits. Apocalypse Ubunga Angela. OCO and Hawaii, Candace. Hello, I'm Jason Aistam. Nice to be here. Uh, Maruweka, Sunrise Tipikani. All right, now let's get started. So the basic plot that's according to IMDb, it says that two Northern Cheyenne men take a road trip from Montana to New Mexico to bail out the sister of one of them who has been framed and arrested in Santa Fe. On the way, they begin to reconnect with their spiritual heritage. And the production company is Handmade Films. And does anyone know the background of Handmade Films or the history of them? Well, I only know it because, okay, this, this was my very first time watching Pow Wow Highway. And I watched it with my husband, Roy. And we were very curious about Handmade Films and who are they. And it's George Harrison's production company from the Beatles. And of course, the music is very much a character in this movie. And so it's definitely George Harrison and you two. So it's a... It's George Harrison's parent company who also, or his production company, which also produced uh, Monty Python. So that was fun to find out about the production company. Research credit to my husband, Roy. He was the one who was like, who are they? And I was like, I don't know. Let's, who are they? Yay, Roy. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, whenever I saw the handmade films, I always thought they were associated with the uh, Monty Python. And so I always thought, and I always liked the movies that the, the handmade films always made. And so whenever I saw it, I was like, oh, this must be a good movie. Because like With Nail and I, Long Good Friday, all these really good like films that came out with them. And also according to the story is that when they were trying to fund this movie, it was George Harrison and Ringo Starr who actually funded the film out of their own pocket. So that's hmm. a side tribute that I heard. So this is distributed by Warner Brothers, released on February 24th, 1989, back when y'all were just thoughts of your parents' eyes or whatever the term is, directed by Jonathan Wax. And Jonathan Wax had done a film for PBS before, and he's a producer of a film called Repo Man that a lot of people liked back in the 80s or 90s or whenever it came out. And mm -hmm. as I understand, this is his first fictional feature. And he is at, he used to run the film department at the University of Santa Fe before Chris Eyre came on. It's based on a book of the same title by David Seals, who is Huron, and the screenplay is by Janet Heaney and Gene Star Wars. And Gary Farmer met Gene Star Wars while on the set, and they got married, and they were together for a few years, but eventually divorced. So that's a little sad. Wait, her last name was Star Wars? S-T-A-W-A-R-Z, yeah. 
What a cool name. And I think she still teaches screenwriting and I can't remember what at university, I think like Indiana or something like that. And so then uh, the producer is Jan Weiringa and George Harrison and Dennis O'Brien. Cinematography by Toyomichi Kurita. And when we talked about the music, there was music that was uh, used by Robbie Robertson. And a lot of it was from his uh, 1987 solo album. And music was also by Barry Goldberg, who is a keyboard player from Chicago and producer like a lot of R&B cats. And like Candace said, the, an original song was with Robert Robertson and U2, and that plays, I think, at the end of the movie. And um, one of the stories was that the music was originally going to be Janelle Romero and Jesse Ed Davis, but Jesse Ed Davis died right before the movie was made or around the time the movie was being made. Oh, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I saw his name in the credits and I wondered why his name was in, was there. Yeah, so, yeah, so he had just recently died when that was being named. And of course, our cast is Gary Farmer as Philip Bono, aka Whirlwind Dreamer. A. Martinez as Buddy Redbow. Janelle Romero as Bonnie Redbow. West Studio as Buff. And as I understand, this is West Studio's first film. He did a TV movie before called Long Arm as a character called The Ute. <laughs> the Ute. <laughs> and then we had Graham Greene as Jimmy Campbell, the, the uh, war vet. John Trudeau as <laughs> Louis Shorthair. And I. And one of the trivia that I heard, I don't know if this is true or not, they were originally going to have John Trudell play Buddy Redbow since he was so similar to that character. But mm. I guess A. Martinez was the more established star, so they had him come in and play it. And then there was Amanda Wiss as mm -hmm. Rabbit Layton and Sky Seals as Sky Redbow. And Sky is David Seals' son. And for me, it's maybe Choctaw's Nucci Neshoba plays Donna, the condo woman. <laughs> she has like one scene, but when we were kids, we were all excited to see Nucci Neshoba because she was like a, like a the Indian model back in the day. <laughs> then of course, there's Rodney Grant as the sexy dude on the horse, voice <laughs> of Lord Red Crow oh, Westerman nice. as the dude on the CB light cloud. And the biggest star was the 1964 Buick Wildcat as protector of the war pony. So <laughs> Power Highway did poorly at the box office. It grossed about 283000 despite mostly positive reviews. And Roger Ebert called Gary Farmer's performance one of the most wholly convincing he's ever seen. It won the Sundance Film Festival's Filmmakers Trophy Award, got nominated for a lot of stuff, and won an award for Best Picture, Director, and Actor at the American Indian Film Festival in San Francisco. So basically, we'll kind of loosely talk about, you know, plot by plot. And if you guys have a scene you want to talk about, we'll break that down or anything that you want to discuss during it. And uh, and I'll talk about the stuff that I thought was, that I really liked or want to talk about. And for this part of the section of our, of our discussion, can you guys talk about general ideas and general, like, real quick brief of what you thought about the movie, brief overview, if it connects to you in any single way. Candace, since you this is your first time seeing it, give us your thoughts. <laughs> okay. So this, of course, this was released in 1988, which I was born in 1989. So, um... <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you so much. Welcome, <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas. <laughs> no, but uh, for real, like, so I didn't understand, like, I know this is, I know this has long been a staple, like in a lot of native homes, like this is like a go-to. And I, I didn't grow up watching this one. I don't, I don't know why, but on viewing it, I now realize why my parents did not have this on their shelf, on our shelf. <laughs> and 
you know, it's because of the cussing and the nudity and the drugs. And so, um, you know, um, so uh, my first viewing of this, this is, um, but Roy had seen it before, but he'd only seen it as a kid. And he said that it didn't really resonate with him as a kid. He said he didn't like it as a kid, but he was like a kid kid. You know, he probably wasn't even 10 when his dad rented it. Uh, and everybody was just excited to see natives on on television. Uh, but I'm watching it a second on the second viewing as an adult. It's a fun, it's a very fun and fantastical, uh, of course, buddy, uh, buddy car journey, like one of those car road trip journeys. And uh, one of my favorite holiday ones, I realize it comes with baggage, um, is, um, planes, trains, and automobiles. And so it's fun to watch um, Gary Farmer be a well, I liken him to John Candy, but you know we have a very earnest, very, um, very earnest character who's honestly trying to reconnect. And I told my husband, I said, "Really, Gary Farmer's heart and face sells this film. Like even when he's high, but when he's having these visions, like I care so much about Gary Farmer and and this journey." And I'm I'm really resonating with his journey and just like his heart to just know more about his culture, you know, and wanting to reconnect with that. And, uh, you know, he, he really is the heart of this film. And I'm glad that he got those good reviews from Roger Ebert and the uh, Sundance Awards. That's cool. <clears throat> um, a Martinez, like he came with, he comes with his own trauma and baggage but he's not a very likable character, much like Steve Martin's character in Play Trams and Autobiles. He's irascible. He's uh, super irritable. And yeah, it's because he's a, he's an aimster. So yeah, he's probably not the happiest person during Christmas time. Um, but there were, and you know, I had we really had to suspend our uh, disbelief a lot for some of the just outbursts of violence that he has like the outburst of violence at the at the <laughs> at the radio station store like <laughs> i was mm. like dude that's extreme and in reality of course but of course this isn't reality this is a fantasy fantasy buddy buddy film of uh, i felt like dude he wouldn't have walked away from that encounter alive there's no way oh my gosh you don't walk up and have this outburst of violence and be able to walk away from that unscathed but <clears throat> once again of course Gary Farmer and comes to the rescue but that's another thing the relationship between Gary Farmer and uh, a Martinez in this film he's not nice to Gary Farmer Gary Farmer didn't have to give him a ride you know but he comes in he picks him up and uh, then he proceeds to you know just crap all over his war pony you know and kind of crap on him be like dude you gotta look at what you eat and and look at, you know, he's just not very nice to Gary Farmer at all. And, um, but Gary Farmer, he's, we have those flashbacks when they were kids and, you know, he's still not treating him well, still not treating him well, but Gary Farmer has that big old heart and his, like I said, his earnestness really does sell it. He says, he's, he's my best friend in the whole world. And you think, oh, oh. <laughs> and what's funny is, you know, having this being my first time watching it, I've never seen Gary Farmer's face be so boyish before. <laughs> so, you know, like he reminds me of uh, some of my cousins, you know, just that that sweet boyish earnestness. Um, so I know we got a lot to get through, uh, but 
some of my takeaways were fun, fantastical. Have, have you haven't seen it? Go watch it. See what you take from it. There's some lines that don't quite for me that there were some loose ends that did not quite tie up. We never really see about that vote. Did did uh, Red Bow get back in time for that vote? It maybe implies that he did because the chief picks him up at the end. The meet cute didn't quite land for me. Uh, that meet cute between him and Rabbit, like that doesn't quite. Yeah, yeah, you make a face tell. Like it doesn't. That doesn't quite land for me for some reason. Um, maybe. Um, anyway, that does. It just doesn't quite land. And uh, the other loose end is that we never really know, though we assume that uh, the sister Bonnie is innocent, but. They never really prove her innocence or guilt in this scenario. It's just like, she's got a lot of weed in the back of her car. How did it get there? We don't know, was it planted? Uh, but they never really explain that. And maybe that maybe they just left it up to the viewer to be like, yes, of course she's innocent. Of course, the, of course she was framed. So uh, we have a few loose ends there, but overall it was a fun movie, fun, um, fun buddy-ish movies and as far as loose ends I'm willing we're willing to forgive the loose ends because this seemed to be like a film that wanted to be like we know when our native peeps are writing a script they need it to be about they need to talk about pollution they need to talk about corruption tribal politics we need to talk about uh how our people are thrown in jail for bs reasons uh but we also have to make this funny and we have an hour and 30 minutes to do it so yeah fun ride all right anybody else I'll hop in there. Just because Candace, I can tell that you didn't grow up around Vietnam vets. Yeah. Nah, no, not Vietnam vets. My grandpas were World War II vets and my uncle Tommy was a Vietnam vet, but he, I can't remember if he saw active duty or not. Yeah. So that, I mean, I think that explains a lot of the anger outbursts mm. that he had and kind of the climate of the time for all of those people coming back from Vietnam very different from today but loved the movie I you know I thought for sure that Phil was gonna die because he you know the innocence the death of the innocence da, 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 da. and so the end was just it was a Christmas miracle <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> it's totally a Christmas movie and I really I did like um Redbow's journey from because you know when they're at the powwow and he's talking about or he's talking to his friend that throws the knife and he's like you know very bitter about things and yeah. doesn't want to dance and how the feathers and the beads aren't going to solve all of the problems about the white men coming and taking their resources and very aim very aim and the, you know we even have the goon squad show up and so there's there's a whole lot of politicking that we've seen like in Thunderheart and so just to see his journey and he got down and danced you know I thought that was really important because mm -hmm. that was the beginning of him also reconnecting because I mean you know Phil's character we we see it through his visions and his very innocent belief in the ancestors but to see Redbow's journey into reconnecting from being this cynical aim person to believing this Christmas miracle mm -hmm. is, you know, it, it was really cool. I really liked, I liked all of that. I just, 
I, I, it made me smile. It made me laugh. I did wonder if, oh my gosh, what's the other road trip movie? Smoke Signals. Did Smoke, smoke signals, signals borrow heavily from this? I totally think so. Totally. Yeah. I mean, they borrowed an actor from it. There's like, a lot yeah. of parallels of that movie in in in, in comparison to this this movie less artfully i would say yeah cuz i really yeah. like this one so much better which is ironic because this is not an indigenous screenwriter and director right. so right. it's like what mm -hmm. yeah yep although i would like to see a poster of all of gary Far farmer's wigs that he's worn <laughs> throughout his career i need yeah. that and yeah, for yeah. the record, I've seen enough yeah. of naked Gary Farmer. <laughs> Jesus, Filmer, <laughs> put some clothes on. <laughs> Between that and Uncle Brownie, I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah. He's fearless. Fearless, fearless. man. <laughs> so. But yeah, he's just, he's he is a national treasure. I wish he was America's national treasure instead of Canada's, but, you know, here we are. I think we probably claimed him at this point, you know. We should. We should just snatch him up because yeah. he is a national treasure. But yeah, that was my take on it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Sunriser. Jason? I don't know how many times I've seen this. This is kind of one of these movies that I just sort of put in this informal list of like movies that have always just sort of been around. Uh, you know, uh, somehow it's always been around and somehow I got familiar with it enough where it's just sort of like a return to this old friend for me. Um, and some of that I know just comes from prepping for classes where I have brought this into the classroom. And some of this is just like having to watch it all the time uh, because, you know, people want to watch it or because I like it. And um, it, it never seems like it's a real intention to sit down and watch it. It's just sort of like around. Um, so with that in mind, it was like great to just sit down and like, it was so low, low stress. I feel like a lot of the things that I view, it's like, a, there's an agenda. I've got to like pay attention to this. I got to make sure I take notes or all this other stuff. And this one, I, because I'm so familiar with it, it was just like, I'm citing lines. I'm getting excited for moments that I remember. Um, and it just felt like it was like catching up with somebody that I hadn't seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, but also it occurred to me that i was starting to pay attention to the things that i didn't realize or didn't recognize in previous viewings um or they just sort of like were vaguely apparent to me that i started to really like think about how this film uh started to reveal things to me as i'm getting older i, I kind of either like didn't identify or took things for granted or i only identified with some things like the the buddy plot or the the chase against time rather than thinking about like kind of like the details of where we're at and there's just like this amazing not just who's who on screen now which maybe i didn't recognize each time i viewed it like each time i view it i'm like oh there's more and more people that's just sort of like this amazing record before a lot of these people really take off that's amazing mm -hmm. um, but then just like the locations that we go it's just sort of like a a where's where you know, it literally is this powwow highway that I think gets kind of overlooked uh, because like there are all these other elements that are really great about it. But it's so amazing to see these places at this time. And it's not it's not like a Hollywood dress up. It's not like they're faking this location for whatever. It's not they're going 
only to New Mexico and pretending New Mexico is all these different locations, you know? So like, that's an amazing uh, revelation to me. Uh, and, and then between now and today, we have so much more indigenous cinema that I'm now able to recognize a lot of things that this film was doing that maybe we take for granted and are not putting into our work that somehow this is still like refreshing in a way like the that's the powwow scene i feel like we have a lot of powwows that are sort of like implied in movies we don't spend as much time and the line with the food i was like that's so real and i feel like when i see it in other movies or series it's it's not really all that present and then it doesn't look the way that it does and then and then who they have as background people you know, they're, they're shooting these relocations and they're grabbing real people. And I'm looking at real people's reactions. And I, and I'm, I'm stunned by how this is sort of like verging on this documentary because mm -hmm. I'm looking at these real people from these real locations. And I believe it in a way that I, I don't now that we have like formalized casting or kind of like bringing people in from different areas that are actors. And mm -hmm. now they're, they're portraying a tribe and that was an interesting thing. I mean, it's still happening in this movie for the leads, but there's so many people that they privileged in like the closest of like reaction shots and like the tribal council meeting or at the powwow. And um, uh, that I thought was really uh, incredible to me that those things were really resonating of like, this is just like, you know, Italian neorealism where, where they're like just shooting in the streets and just show the world, this is who we are and this is what we look like. Mm -hmm. And it is astounding that it's like not an indigenous filmmaker or filmmakers at the top that mm -hmm. somehow they were perceptive and intelligent and um, open enough to be able to just say, yeah, we should show this or we should show this. And it just felt really open. So those were amazing revelations of this old friend. So I enjoyed it. <laughs> to build upon what uh, Sunrise has said, yeah, I definitely recognize the same things the there's like a romanticism to this film obviously but there's also there is a a neorealism to this film those 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 powwow scenes and the the um just like it it seems yeah it doesn't there's no it doesn't seem as affected as it does today when you see those same scenes or or staged um and yeah it's amazing how they did that um but yeah just uh yeah, I I have not seen this film in I don't know probably three, four, five years, and I, I do revisit it um, every so often. It's 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 one of my favorites. I'm I won't lie, not that I have to lie, but <laughs> it is. It's a beloved favorite of mine, and and upon this viewing, like Sunrise has said, I don't. I usually I am kind of watching it sometimes with like certain agendas, but this time I'm just like, okay, I actually watched it real really quickly before before this pod here and I wanted to sneak it in and it moves so effortlessly in it like it it um it goes from scene to scene to scene and it, I don't want to say it's magical realism because but there is a certain element of that because as Candace was noticing there are things that uh that don't necessarily add up but it but I feel like for me it I'm okay with that because part of it is that magical realism and part of it is I, honestly, I think independent film back then, probably in 88 or so, even 
today and the work that I end up doing, you're moving so fast. Sometimes you don't have time to, to, to clean up those loose ends and you're just like, fuck it. We're just going to move on. <laughs> it's like, we'll fix it in post or whatever. Um, and that's okay. And, and I, I, I accept that in, in this film. Cause yeah, there's obviously scenes where it's like, uh, like it, I'm noticing at the very end where like, uh, the cops just give up like, well, I see that there's an explosion on that side of uh, turquoise trail and we're just going to give up. Clearly they've all died. You know, <laughs> that's like, yeah. I'm, I was like, I'm okay with that. Yeah, no ambulance, <laughs> no fire department. <laughs> no <laughs> they're not in there. Oh no, oh, there's no. I guess we better that's, go home, guys. Yeah. And I'm, like, I'm like, I'm okay with that. You know, I, my heroes survive. That's cool. You know, it's like uh, A. Martinez gets with the white girl and then somehow Filbert flopped out of his car and saved that purple heart, you know, and everyone's alive at the end. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm okay with all those things. And there's so much that um, I really was like, I actually, I mean, I, it, I it's difficult for me to take off the critical hat. It, it, it. So, you know, I'm, I'm watching this thing and I see all this like, you know, it's, it's a, this film is obviously like a, a road movie in it, but it's also a Western, you know, you have these, you know, that they're break, they're also breaking out of like the jail, which is, you know, even in 88, you don't get to take the, you don't sneak in the back of this, Santa Fe jail and break the bars off the, the wall. It just doesn't happen. Um, but you know, it's like, it's a Western, it's a road movie. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, there's, we're talking about the tradition, traditionalism versus, you know, this kind of like a contemporary, you know, ideology that this, this, the A. Martinez has that he's, you know, it's like they're fighting against each other. This kind of duality of like the, the, the romantic traditional, you know, uh, uh, Philbert, who's trying to, you know, pull A. Martinez back to like his traditional roots. And then there's A. Martinez, who is dealing with these contemporary things and who's harsh and a Vietnam vet, you know, and honestly, a little, sometimes a little corny. I mean, like, he's like, this fighter is the size of the Pentagon. I'm like, who talks like that? Like, it's kind of like, or no, this arachnid is the size of the Pentagon. Yeah, it's a little corny. Like sometimes he's like a little over the top. Some of the lines are clunky, also like dialogue wise. Like uh, I, they get to Denver, I think it is, and then like the, the the lady who's like, uh, she's what does she say? She's like, uh, yeah, it was like the Gestapo. We couldn't live there anymore. It was like Belfast. I'm like, Belfast, there's no yeah. Indians that I know that talk like that. <laughs> it's like that's a white screenwriter like trying to translate indigenous activism you know it's like this is how they would talk it's like no that's not how any people talk it's it's funny but um yeah yeah i mean there's just like there's this uh i don't i don't know i, I was trying to think about it and put myself in the shoes of in the mindset of these white screenwriter filmmaker you know director you know these people that are in charge you know of, of the of this of shooting this movie and like how they there is a certain sense of like letting go where they don't have necessarily they have the agenda of like kind of romanticism of course but there's a certain beauty to that where you don't have to be beholden to um maybe uh you can just let go and probably let go of like actual like logic and just kind of go with this this uh the story the beauty of the story which is what i what i what i saw in this film it's like i'm just i'm, I'm they, they they engage me scene after scene i'm just like okay I'm on board here and and um and yeah the the it's interesting Candace brings up that that Vietnam veteran character 
my, I have an uncle who was actually a Vietnam veteran. I had two uncles. One, both went, only one came back. The other one died there. But uh, my uncle Toby, who came back, he's not angry or bitter, but he is definitely, it. he's affected by it. Like he, he's not, he doesn't, I mean, he's still, he's fine. He engages in society for the most part, fine. But, he, you know, he, his inner voice and outer voice kind of sometimes doesn't necessarily click like the inner voice will go outside and he recognize he recognizes that and he, he makes jokes about that you know he's like he's like he he's funny and he's funny and he's he's fun to be with but he's not like what you would say a normal person after that experience i'm sure so it's like these people that came back from nom i mean i'm lucky that he's not you know dead i'm lucky that he and when he came back i'm lucky that he didn't die you know, he, he found a way to somehow survive. But those people who came back, that came back from Nam, are definitely, um, they're definitely a special breed of, of, of men, um, that, 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 that era of men. But um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about this film, but um, yeah, just, I, I love this film. It's like Sunrise says, it's like revisiting an old friend. And I, I, I also, it's, you know, the, obviously it's close, you know, it's close to where I live in Santa Fe and I know all these I know that whole area. I know that that that's that road seems to be turquoise the turquoise trail where they're kind of like winding down, you know, this path. And I was just on that this past weekend. It's funny. So it's like I know all these roads. I know the plaza. I don't know the Santa Fe jail or that what that set is, but <laughs> um yeah, I just I love that film. I love I love Powell Highway. It's definitely a Christmas film. I've forgotten that it was a Christmas film. That's also something I've always wanted to do is shoot like a Christmas film. Uh because it seems to be a, a special, when you do that, it kind of, it adds a special element to whatever, whatever the work you're doing is. But um, anyways, yeah, Powell Highway is awesome. And also going on with the, talking about like the, the way the ending happened so abruptly, mm -hmm. uh, I usually attribute it to like one of the stories that Jonathan Wax said was like, they were running out of budget and yeah. they recalled George Harrison up and say, Hey man, we need some more money to get this film made. And George Harrison was like, "You asked for a certain amount of, of budget, right?" And they said, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "I gave you that much money, right?" Said, yeah. He said, That's all you're getting. Figure it out. It work. <laughs> like, but some of these scenes don't make sense. Figure it out. <laughs> but you have to do that. the accent, Tully. <laughs> so yeah, so that happened. I think there were, they did talk about there was had been scenes that were cut, and and some of it was with uh, the Bonnie Redbow character, which is kind of a loss because that's one of the things that people uh, critique on this is that you know the the women representation is not so strong, and so even though Bonnie Redbow is like the main point of why we're going to Santa Fe. All right, so I'll go through it talking about the plot points, and whenever you guys want to talk about a certain scene or anything, just speak up, or and I'll ask you whenever I, I come to a scene that I like. So the movie opens up with our sexy guy on horseback, drum beat. We see the title, Powwow Highway, and then we see our credit sequence of the lovely vista of the Cheyenne Reservation in Lame Deer, Montana. And finally, after the credits, we get to see this Indian bar. And so this part was kind of what like Sunrise talked about, about this realism that happened. And did anyone have any kind of thoughts or feelings about that the the bar scene? Well, I had a thought about, you know, it has been a long time since I've seen it. And I was worried about it being res porny. You know, 
Well, it opens up like that, right? I mean, we're yeah. seeing a lot of the, the like the the the, the res of the broken down cars, the houses, yeah. little innocent kids walking around by themselves. Res yeah. dogs even show up. Yeah, there. dogs that are wounded and ganging up at each other. <laughs> right. So I was a little worried about that. But I mean, what would the alternative be? I would say, like, is it supposed to be like glossy homes and like a uh, fenced, you know? You know, it's, I mean, it's kind of like, like we we're talking about neorealism a little bit. I mean, what, what, what would the, what would be the alternative be to that? I should say. A family sitting down for dinner in one of those rundown homes. Uh, I don't know. Empires, something. But how would that, yeah. how would that, how would that, I mean, so that would, that could be an opening scene, but what would that, what would that, how would that move the film forward, I guess. Or I guess, how did this move the film how forward? How did this move it forward? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so, that's a good question. That's why I was concerned that it was going to get res porny, just because yeah. we were seeing all this worn down stuff okay. instead of something, you know, people playing together or sitting in their lawn chairs in their front yard, shooting the shit, you know, eating, making fry bread, passing out drinks and food sitting around you know like you do a little more <laughs> sense of people being there because it was it was very sparse it was just kind of like buildings and cars not necessarily the people that reside there yeah that bar is pretty much the only place where there's like a populace mm -hmm. yeah so could we have just opened up at the bar as opposed to the establishing of the res as this res porn kind of place or whatever you call that yeah, or they somebody literally just said third world walking there. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, they literally said third world. Yeah, later on. Mm -hmm. Literally says third world. Mm -hmm. This here's the third yeah. world. Yeah. Dramatic yeah. beat. Yeah. I think that was also said in uh, Thunderheart, too, right? Didn't one of the characters say it's a third world? Yeah. Well, that's the, I said, I think that's the clunkiness also of uh, A. Martinez's dialogue. He's like this super, he's a conduit for like this like political kind of like aim trope guy who's always like one dimensional, like I'm fighting for the cause and, you know, this is, you know, everything else is secondary. I mean, he gives his friend shit for trying to like move to Denver mm -hmm. when he's, when he doesn't know that his, he's an ex, you know, his expectant father or whatever. Like, A. Martinez has some pretty clunky dialogue overall throughout the film. Yeah. That phone call, like, uh, where I started to, I want to root for him, but he talks about how he didn't even, it sounded like he didn't even want to help his sister. He says, even, even yeah. if I wanted to, is what, is how he phrased it. And I'm sure it was just clunky dialogue stuff, but it was still like, you don't even want to help your sister? Yeah. Because he's right. just like one note. He's like, mm -hmm. I, I'm fighting for the cause. You know, I don't mm -hmm. have time for, for family or whatever. Mm -hmm. And being a Christmas movie, to me, I kind of view this as like a Scrooge movie, right? And this is a guy who's yeah. becoming redeemed. And so he's going to start out as a bad person. And with Gilbert, you know, he's becoming the warrior he once was kind of thing. It's what I, how I kind of read it. So moving on to this bar scene, you know, we open up at the bar scene and we saw, and to me, again, it felt like we were really in this, in a real Indian bar. Like I have been in these settings. Yes. And you saw these <laughs> beautiful Indian faces, yeah, drinking, yeah, yeah. smoking, 
playing yeah. pool. And and so like did so to me it really stood out. It was like like this yeah. just felt real. Gee, I like that to me. Yeah, because I've I've seen that like um you don't I mean I I I'd almost don't see that anymore, like that type of again it's like neorealism if if you were if you if you were to go to indian market like 2022 or whatever i didn't go this year but it's totally affected it's totally like everyone's like they do not look like this everyone has this kind of air of um you know yeah it's bougie natives there's almost yeah and there's kind of almost like i don't want to say pandianism but everyone's kind of wearing like the same kind of like very variation on you know the same kind of thing i don't know it's just like it's gritty i, I like the grittiness of this of the of this bar scene um i don't i don't see it as like res porn i see it as like just real neorealism of that period i guess yeah i will defend it i will defend that scene <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful <laughs> but it's also con that opening is contrasted also with this stereotypical indian on a horseback and I, don't yeah. we even see an eagle Fly. Mm -hmm. We sure do. Yeah. The flutes and all the drum pound. <laughs> There's definitely flutes. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, it's, it's so. Uh, yeah. For me, I put it in that time period because when once we get to that bar, then I'm like leaning into this movie now. I'm really loving these these this, these people. I can actually see like this isn't the same era, but you know, TC Cannon and that kind of like scene and that kind of bar yeah. and that shooting pool and hanging out in Santa Fe or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, and it's nice that it's like it's like shot like any movie. It's not like trying to emphasize that we're like any different because we're in a this like heavily populated bar of natives. It's just like people playing pool, people drinking, people hanging out and having fun. And you know, like the camera moves or like what's in the frame. There's no like you know mounted regalia or anything like that dressed in the space it's just these natives from the 80s playing it could be you know that um it, it could be any pool movie i guess <laughs> the hustler <laughs> yeah it could be the hustler yeah the hustler the color of money <laughs> That's the movie I want to see the uh, the Indian pool movie. Yes. <laughs> Indian pool noir. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> oh, dang, that'd be my dad. He ran a pool hall in Chickasha. Oh, no, there's so many Indian pool stories. Oh yeah, yeah. all of our family. So my dad, he was a pool hustler. You know, was like yeah. being a, being a kid, like hanging out with like those adults who were play pool all the time. Mm -hmm. Corner Pocket was the name of, of our place. I've only heard stories, but I heard it was called the Squeeze In. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> squeeze In. That said, he used to hustle some people, you know, get play pool for a free glass of beer when he was in college. <laughs> so he cool. taught me. Hey, Jason, start writing that one. <laughs> the squeeze I, I in. See, I can see a film happening right now. <laughs> All right. So speaking of pool playing, we see Buddy. He's playing pool with John Trudell and Wes Studi, who are Lewis Shorthair and Buff. And again, talking about this this dialogue where he's like, 
This one goes to the man in the White House when he knocks the ball down. It's <laughs> <laughs> so corny. Yeah, his dialogue is so bad. And the coal mine at Big Mountain. <laughs> the Sonomish pipeline. And that yeah, monstrosity on 314. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do you ever rest? Do you, can, you, can you just chill? <laughs> He's always like fighting the man. Yeah. <laughs> and you never rest. This is because I'm not Indian. Actually, <laughs> I'm just playing one. Supposedly, he claimed. What did he say? What What did we see that he was? Uh, what tribe affiliation? He's not he on the list. But no, he, not he, yet. He claimed Crazy. Apache and Blackfeet, which. To me, is like, how? But I'm Inuit and Irish, so you know. We can give them benefit. But I believe that more than they get those, around. Those two, very. Anyway, I know it can. I know it can happen, but. <laughs> so it happens, and he's still. He plays a good right. native. He plays a good Indian. I mean, except for that dialogue. <laughs> it's that he didn't write. That he didn't write. write. He didn't have a choice. <laughs> he delivers it as good as he can. Yeah. Yeah, I think he worked with what he had. And so, you know, Buddy leaves, and as he walks out, Philbert comes walking in. And so Philbert sits at the bar in this weird rando scene. This was like a weird to me where the guy says, Hey Philbert, you going to powwow? And Philbert just like ignores him. So you going to powwow? And then he starts watching this commercial of this white dude who's who's trying to sell sell the, the car. And so I thought that was kind of a weird scene where the guy's like, you go into the powwow and, and Philbert would not answer. So I, I got to kind of throw it off. I think I think Philbert was just hungry. He grabbed those pretzels. pretzels yeah. He was like, he's refreshing cold beer. It's a long day doing whatever Philbert does. You know, he's getting some pretzels. You know, but, he's like, yeah, whatever, man. Just let me chill, you know. But, but, but also, like, he, he might not have a way to get there. Yeah. Right? He might not yeah. respond because it's he like have he's a car embarrassed. Yet. He doesn't have a car yet. Yeah. He asks him that too, doesn't he? Yeah. You have a ride. Yeah, I think he does. I, he, I think he does. So maybe that's what it was. It triggers him to think about, I need to get a ride. I need, I need to, to get, get a car. car. Yeah. yeah. So the next day, being influenced by that, he goes to uh, Fidel. And I don't know what this place was, I, if it was actually a car lot or if it was a junkyard or if it's just his house. But this cat named Fidel <laughs> who's sitting there reading his. Uh, porno magazine whatever it was i think it was playboy and he he uh asked for the car and he trades for some uh like a little bag of marijuana bottle what looks like an alcoholic beverage and what it looks like is those old school food stamps and i don't know if that's what it was but that's what it looked like was a food stamps mm -hmm. and so the guy said all right uh, go out there and see what you what you want and he looked out the window and then he gets the vision of these horses that they're coming at him and then he sees the the 1964 Buick Wildcat. And he asked about the brown car and he said, all right, go ahead and take him. They toss him the keys and Spielberg goes out there, takes all the junk off it, starts the car, does his little face that he makes and the car starts, grabs the Mother Mary, throws it off and drives off. And so that's like a scene that stood out to me as a kid because it was really like, for whatever reason, it was funny because, you know, he's you're, they're doing kind of like a trade, but it's almost like a, kind of like this modern kind of trade where it's weed and, and alcohol and food stamps as opposed to like you know your jewelry or whatever and so and then you know you got the indian card 
I think everyone has an Indian car of some form that they either rode in or had owned. And so I felt like that was like, you know. I still do. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I drive. <laughs> and so, and so I drove. Uh, I mean, my car is kind of Indian now, you know, because you know I don't have a, a Mother Mary, but I had the Buddy Christ on my dashboard with the with the sweet grass on it, and then a, a beaded Bart Simpson hanging from it, and all my trash is like in the passenger seat in the back seat, and you know that food that I bought from the grocery store is still sitting in there, and so you know, and my my dish my uh, windshield wipers don't work. So yeah, I, I kind of guess I do. My car is kind of a nicer car, but it's still Indian out. Do you have like the little the little computer screen that tells you how to back up? Uh, no, no, no. I'm not that fancy. I wish. Okay, okay. And there's a light right now saying car engine needs to be fixed or something on my car. <laughs> you check engine light. Still glowing. Check, check engine, engine light. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's official. i I can't believe about that car i can't like there's where the fantasy really initiates for me i mean there's the fantasy about the horse but i can't believe that it starts but also i can't i I can't believe it's got four wheels right four tires that are all completely functional yeah 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 and gas and gas (laughs) and it gets them to fucking santa fe yeah By by going uh, more uh, northeast, northwest, and then coming down. <laughs> the movie guys, come on! Yeah, time has no meaning in this film because I was like, wait, what day are we on? I don't. What? Indian time. <laughs> so then the next scene is that scene where the, the Sandy Young Blood is trying to sell the strip mining to the tribe, and Buddy Redbow, you know, calls them out. And he said, did you read the contract? We're, we're paying people. People are getting jobs. And of course, it's that Buddy Redbow thing. I read every treaty since Fort Laramie of 1868. <laughs> it's always the same deal. You get what you want, and we get the shaft. <laughs> he's, a, he's a scholar of treaties. <laughs> and, and then he's also like aware of like, you know, fashion. Like he starts attacking him on the suit, right? You know, oh, yeah. 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 Fancy suit. yeah. <laughs> It didn't look that fancy either. It didn't look that fancy. <laughs> no, like, no, <laughs> like you get at those, what were those 80s stores in the mall? It was like Montgomery Wards. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, come on. He even had a skinny tie. The dude was there. He's tall. I did think it was cool that that was like, that seemed like the real, like, uh, like the real tribal complex. It felt right. like that was a real. Yeah building like bad lighting and <laughs> bad lighting just like <laughs> yes. bland yeah bland fake wood siding yeah. uncomfortable paneling yeah. yeah yeah the paneling yeah yeah and just two two paintings in the background yeah. <laughs> and of course that's where he says Candace's favorite line this ain't the American dream we're living in this is the third, the third world, world. Oh <laughs> sucker I, I added that he didn't say sucker <laughs> And so then we cut to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where Bonnie gets pulled over to police and, and they arrest her for having a, a brick of weed, I guess. It was weed, right? That was in the in the car. Yeah. And so she yeah. gets busted. The kids get sent to the uh, the home and she calls Buddy and tells him that she got busted. And he hadn't talked to her for like 10 years, he says, and he didn't even know that she had the kids. 
And so then the next scene, we see the war pony driving and the muffler falls off and Gilbert runs out and grabs it, put it back on. So I'm sure a lot of people have to have that experience or been in that experience. One experience I had with a, a, a one time, me and my cousins were sitting out in front of the front of our house. Uh, we were at my aunt's house. And we heard like, pop, 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 pop. And we thought we were going to drive by. And we said, oh, shit, we're about to get a shot. And we started running. And next thing you know, this car without a muffler was driving by, making it loud. <laughs> that's, like a, that's like an Uncle Buck. Pulls up to the high school the high school or whatever. Yeah. And it's like the muffler goes off. Pow, and everybody like ducks down like they're going to yeah. get shot. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I had that real life experience. <laughs> and so then Gilbert uh, goes to visit Aunt Harry. So this was kind of a complicated scene for me. Uh, and so I, I kind of want you guys to kind of kind of talk it through with me of what you think mm -hmm. about this Aunt Harriet scene. Yeah. Is that where she gets all angry at him about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I've known some mean aunties in my time, but yeah. normally, like when I've gone to kind of talk about old shit or trying to get some, you know, like some knowledge. You know, I've never been yelled at like that, you know. It's usually for other shit, like leaving uh, bottles on their table or, you know, spilling something. But it's never like, you know. So what, what did you guys feel about this scene or think about this scene? It's interesting. I've always felt that this scene was like this when I was younger and I saw this. I was like, oh, this is like real. That was my response. And I still sort of think that to some degree. Not The fact that there's this person who's an elder that has a lot of pressure. I feel like this is the first time where I confronted with this like elder who doesn't know what to do. And, and so they're responding with anger and frustration. I think in the movie, I think it's tied to this frustration of that uh, uh, Buddy has this sort of like uh, mm -hmm. having to always confront um, the, the whoever is our antagonist in the world, like governments, resource people that are trying to steal from our resources um our own internal conflicts with each other and i feel like she's a version of this she's mm -hmm. sort of like been soured by this mm -hmm. sort of like need to have to address and she's tired of it this is like a real form of just like elder exhaustion that i rarely ever see but it felt mm -hmm. like i feel somehow i've seen this so I've I've responded to this as like this is the first time where I'm really seeing like an elder treated like as a human a little bit. Mm. Um, since then we have all sorts of yeah. other versions of this. Yeah, and she is she is pretty extreme about it. Um, yeah. but then she kind of like it's it's interesting at the end that it turns into this what seems like a joke and maybe she's just pretending and she like makes a joke but it's like at his expense a little bit. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and it seems like for me, really, it's a motivation for Philbert to realize that he's got to like, if he if he becomes this person, he's not going to be any use to anybody, and he's going to like really figure out how to replace her attitude. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's 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 like he's like he's discovering it. This journey that he's on, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be it's not going to be handed to him. He can't just ask someone what to do. He's gonna have to find. He's gonna have to, you know, find his medicine and 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 slowly go on this this journey, and and he's gonna have to actually battle this other, uh, you know, person who is, by the extension of this 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 elder, the same kind of binary, 
kind of the he's fighting against like uh these people who are exhausted who have who are who are like the elders like gotten exhausted from trying to answer these types of questions and now you have a martinez who is just like on his head come back from vietnam and he's battling this he's fighting this other battle where he doesn't even have time to to investigate traditionalism and he's burnt out on it and he's just like he doesn't see a, that there's a it's almost a waste of time for him so i think that this is like the, the first time that the Gilbert's like, oh, this is going to be difficult. You know, it's like, although he's not maybe because he's probably on the spectrum a little bit, he's probably not, you know, cognizant enough to be like, oh, this is going to be a challenge. I'm going to have to, this journey is going to, he's just going to find this out on his own. And that's his first experience or one of the first experiences that he discovers that. Because I, I saw it also as a kind of humor when I was a kid. I thought it was meant to be mm -hmm. funny. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I thought, but when I watched it again this time, I was kind of like, that's it's tough for me to see that you know because you know she's like making like you said making fun of him and then the, the story about dull knife and his quote mm -hmm. was keep your pony out of my garden mm -hmm. and he starts laughing mm -hmm. and so it was like i wasn't sure what what she was doing tough love or is it really like you know just that she's just just burnt out by by it all and it could be either one you know and maybe and i was trying to figure out what keep your pony out of my garden if that had any significance or importance for the story and i don't know if i if i felt what that is except for like you said is that he has to go on his own journey to figure out what he needs to do to get to be that that warrior person to get that medicine is how i read it yeah i mean like that idea of the neighbor that story about like your ponies in, encroaching upon my area the lesson she's implying is like get get out of here get your horse moving i don't want it involved in my home or my space and that just seems to be about like keeping things separate mm -hmm. like you have your own problems you go deal with them over there i've got my own problems and that's just sort of like it seems like a very conventionally american way of thinking it's like this is my lawn i will do what i need to do on my lawn don't walk on my lawn don't have your dog touch my lawn you know, like it's the same sort of like you have your own problems, they're not mine. And they're sort of like not taking a ownership as an elder of like, I should be helping you. And and that seems to be the same thing that's happening here with Buddy, where he's like, hasn't in 10 years done anything for his sister. Her, his sister's problems are her own problems. Problems with kids are her own problems until now. And it's sort of like this resistance and it's an obligation. Um, and it maybe that's about whatever's happening in this reservation like people are just not caring for each other acting like their problems are not part of their own and it, maybe it's like community building here as part of the lesson mm -hmm. which is what happens at the end they're all like together yeah. you know then the next scene we have you know the chief and buddy talking about purchasing cattle and he's giving them the money and Buddy sees Philbert outside driving by, and all these mean ass kids are throwing snowballs at his car. <laughs> <laughs> Shitty little Indian kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, you know, Buddy goes out there and trying to get him rolled down the window. And that's when we first, the first time we see the window come loose where it comes out. And he asks Philbert uh, to take him to Santa Fe to bail out Bonnie. And so they smoke weed and talk about it and how he's got the money mm -hmm. from the, uh, the cattle because Buddy is an ag purchasing agent. And so, they're going to use that money Santa Fe and figure out what to do with the, with the money. And he asked Philbert to take them. And Philbert says, we are Cheyenne, meaning, you know, of course I am. <laughs> right. 
And so then, you know, we can see the musical montage of, you know, the animals across the plain. And then we can see the images of like the scorched earth and these mining things like that's really contrasting of what we see when we see just the, the, the planes and these animals going through. And then we cut to like this man-made uh, destruction that's happening, which continues with this theme of land and, 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 and how we take care of the land. Because to me, that's what I feel like one of the major themes of the movie is. So then comes one of my favorite scenes as a kid that I thought was just the most hilarious scene is the scene at the diner. And so do you guys want to kind of talk about this? Did he eat all of that food? it's going to hibernation (laughs) i wanted to see all the food like when people order food like that like i i want to see it what about that dinner what about that scene was like especially funny for you totally i think it was uh it's just west studies moment yeah because oh yeah west kind of came in as a force and he was just like yeah he stole that scene to me. I mean, like mm-hmm. one of the biggest memories for me as a kid was that character. And he's mm-hmm. only there in two scenes, right? <laughs> that's it. And But we were just laughing because he's talking shit to everybody. He's <laughs> trying to pick up all these women who don't want nothing to do with them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want the villains to get some boo. It's <laughs> a fa la la and some horny elves. <laughs> and then when he leaves, he's like behind <laughs> chasing after someone else. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're in the background and he's talking to those two ladies that walked in. It's like, are y'all from around here? <laughs> y'all want to go to Billings or something like that? You can hear him if you listen real hard. <laughs> yeah. He does Which talk is- shit the whole time, I guess. Well, huh? it's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because. Actually, before I watched this movie, this was the only scene that I had ever seen because my brother thought it was so freaking hilarious. He's like, Candace, you got to check out Wes doing this. <laughs> and, but what's kind of funny to me, just a little personal backstory, I guess, is that um, when dad was in his pool shark days, you know, Wes used to come into the bar where they were and that Wes was actually more kind of like the red bow type where he was biting the man and oh. scaring off the women actually oh, <laughs> and then funny. so it's funny it's funny to see this uh where he and i think we may have um, i don't know if we've covered this before but west when he does comedy like yeah we, we covered this during reservation dogs but like it's he he's he's got we want more comedic roles for west and because he's mm. i love how since this is like his first movie this is a bit of bread and butter for him is I can do comedy and I can deliver these lines like this guy. <laughs> but yeah, so fun mm-hmm. scene. Yes, he does steal the scene. And so that's when they decide that Filbert needs to get some new threads and get a radio because they ain't got no goddamn AM radio. Oh and- my gosh. <laughs> I was <just laughs> like, Martinez, you're an a-hole. Golly. <laughs> but I guess at least he paid for the radio and get him a radio. It's a fancy... Craco radio. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> if you notice hey, the brand, <laughs> it's like six hundred dollars for everything. Like, That's oh a, it seems like a lot of money for night. That's a lot of money, <laughs> money. for Craco. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, we're Craco like a low budget uh, brand or something. Oh, it was uh, yeah. Pioneer was the big one. Pioneer, yeah. Pioneer, Pioneer. Pioneer. Yeah. Like Osgate or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, yeah. yeah, you had to take it with you so it didn't get stolen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, my aunt had one. She sold me her van 
and uh, it still had the like <laughs> I think it had the oh my god I think it still had a cassette. It, I, I, I know, I think it had a CD and cassette. And so it was, a, and she showed me that you had to take it off. She showed me how to take it off. I was like, okay, <laughs> why? But <I'll> t- <laughs> so I never took it off, but I knew you could take it off on her. It was all fancy. It was one of the, I think it was a pioneer. Yeah, I bet it was. You must have lived in a decent neighborhood where you didn't have to get, worry about it getting uh, stolen. Right. <laughs> I guess so. I didn't think about that. <laughs> That's why you pull it out. Yeah. I think it was when you just took off the top of it. Oh, yeah, the face. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was later. That was later. Oh, okay. Radios and AM. <laughs> AM. AM. And a CB. CB radio. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. So but, much to install. I can't believe they got this like at night. Like, <laughs> the installation. That's when I get another fantasy element. Just, no. You're ruining it. You're ruining it. Really? <laughs> and they're installing speakers as well. Like it's not just the radio. Yes, install. Do not bring logic into this. Yeah. <laughs> and so, kind of like a, a backstory of, of that scene is like a, a Martinez improvised a scene that was where he's like, "What can you say?" Is what he says, and that was not in the script, but he felt like that's what he should say to this to Philbert. And Jonathan Wax was like. That's not in the script. Don't be saying that. And he said, well, let, and you know, he pulled the old acting trick of like, well, let's do it at, uh, both as diff- different takes. I'll do one take with what can you say? And I'll do one take without it. And everybody as actors know what they do whenever they want to do their line, right? What are you, talking about? What are you talking about? They do oh, the what? performance. The <laughs> <I know. laughs> and so he, he did it as what can you say? And then later on when they were filming the final shot, which was that scene where they're driving down the road with the snow in the, in the on the ground looking really cool. Beautiful scene. That's all oh, yeah. very yeah. pretty. And so he, when they finished, he went out to go like go out, just walk off the road to go take a piss. And while he's out there, he's finishing up and he hears somebody walking up behind him. He's like freaking out because he, he can't see anything. And he hears Jonathan Wack's voice saying, well, what can you say? Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got the famous scene that Candace loves where they purchase the, the audio equipment and Philbert walks out with new threads all dressed like a cowboy and everything seems to be good except the radio doesn't work. Buddy gets pissed. Throws a fist, just basically destroys the the place. Oh, Philbert figures out. Philbert reads the direction. Owners, it almost felt very, almost a bit cartoony. Like he almost needed acting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let that be a lesson, kids. Always read your instructions. (laughs) Read those Krako instructions. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so they drive off with the guy shooting a gun at them. And so further down the road, Buddy's sleeping and Philbert's on the radio. And that's when he talks with Floyd Red Crow Resterman, who tells him about um, Sweet Butte. Red Crow's uh, handle was Light Cloud, which was Jesus to the to the Cheyenne. Philbert talks about how he saw a Cheyenne guy on TV on some, uh, I think it was uh, Bonanza. That's kind of like a recurring theme too, right? How TV's influencing Philbert. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and so he chooses to go towards uh, Sweet Butte instead of going towards uh, Denver. And so then at the Black Hills, you know, he goes out and this is like another scene that stood out for me where he goes out, he has his vision and uh, sees this coyote. And then he goes up on the mountain. We have one of the best uh, Hershey candy bar commercial ever. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it look good. Yeah, totally. it's a yeah. big ass candy bar too. So cute. <laughs> I was so hard. It's so like, oh, he's so happy. He's gonna eat that, and then I was like, wait, he's gotta leave that. Mm-hmm. He's gotta leave it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It totally works. Yeah. Hershey Kisses, the food for our ancestors. <laughs> Old ways. A gift for Old our a gift for our ancestors. <laughs> Get ready to give them diabetes. <laughs> so those are like really good good scenes. And I don't know what you guys felt about those those two scenes where he's talking with the guy and then goes to Sweet Butte. I really, I really loved this moment because he's literally on the mountaintop. And I had a few questions about the scene that were actually in my mind they just made me laugh i just thought it was funny i have been to the black hills i have been to the mount rushmore i was actually kind of surprised nobody said anything about mount rushmore you know we see george washington's face and um have you all been to mount rushmore nope yeah no tell me yes no all right well sunrise i don't know what your impression was but my sister literally had a camcorder one time we were in high school and whenever she went around to Mount Rushmore, she was really like, and here it is. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's <laughs> so it's super small. And if mm-hmm. of course we know the history of it, basically it sucks. It's not, it's it's just not, and you realize it's a middle finger to the people who were there, and that's Black Hills, mm-hmm. and that's sacred land. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's why they didn't talk about it. Maybe they just didn't want well, also budget to. Uh, where they emphasize more the sacredness of this space and this place and leaving the offering uh, the whole conversation there and of course I don't, I just love in a fantasy land Phil can roll off the Black Hills and not be yeah. hurt and it's totally fun and this yeah. is like his mm-hmm. playground he's having mm-hmm. a, the time of his life mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh my gosh this is so funny <laughs> Oh, I just love the I I love the Hershey's bar. I like it. Yeah, I was I was cracking up so hard during this. It is pretty cool that we what position we do see of uh, Mount Rushmore. I feel like I that's not a sight you ever see from that angle. You know, it's really de-emphasizing it. And at first, I was like, "What are we looking at?" Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really great like just statement about its insignificance. Yeah. Um, yeah. And everything that comes before, just like this, this the fact that the space is sacred is really mm-hmm. what hits home here. And it, not at all about Washington or any of the presidents there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really amazing sequence. Because it's know. it's his story. It's his. It's what it, you mm-hmm. know. It's he's gathering medicine. It has nothing to do with stupid mm-hmm. that piece of stupid land art. And mm-hmm. we don't we don't care. It's like mm-hmm. it's Filbert's. Mm-hmm chocolate journey you know yes mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> this is I'm also more, yeah i'm more interested in the chocolate yeah that's all yeah say. the chocolate yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is for the first moment in the movie where i um, prior to this i'm always maybe i align too much with buddy in this way but uh, i'm uh, never quite convinced that philbert is experiencing something real yet until this moment Mm-hmm. with 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 the the fox um or the or the coyote whatever it is coyote oh is yeah. it a fox i thought it was coyote i, I think it is a coyote, I think it's coyote yeah. coyote yeah but but prior to this it just seems like it's like the imagination like mm-hmm. the horse the horses that he sees uh rodney grant it's all just a dream to me this is like what he wants and this is my, maybe 
perpetuated by things that he's seeing on TV. It's like, this is who we're supposed to be based on like some image. But here it starts to become much more real. And I start to really believe, and it's convincing me that he's right. Uh, the, the fact that there's like this handoff, you know, like this lance is being given to him in the middle of this vision. It's not a dream. It's a vision because he awakens and then there's an animal. Like there is somebody there, mm -hmm. you know, like it's convincing that, you know, spirits are listening and this is, he's able to connect and something's happening. And I think that moment is really important before he goes back up to the top and he's like giving this bar to <laughs> whoever's going to be there. Um, but I think that's a really interesting thing that I see in this film that I, I feel like a lot of other films don't kind of, uh, for me, don't take that journey in terms of like, is it real? Is it not? It, how does it become real? And, um, and for me, this is really where it's about a Christmas story to me because Christmas movies really are about like, um, they're really like any kind of paranormal or supernatural movie. And they're generally supernatural in that there's like a belief. Someone is like a skeptic. Scrooge does not believe. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the film, he believes in the Christmas spirit. And often people are like converted into Christianity. Mm -hmm. But I think here it's like the movie's making a point that it's like not about Christ. Mm -hmm. um, it's about like the native replacement of Jesus. And it's about like what our spirituality is. And that is like the conversion that Buddy has. I feel like he becomes, you know, somebody who believes um, by the end of the movie. And that's like, uh, here I'm starting to believe it, just yeah. me. And, and that's an amazing uh, blending, I guess, or like an indigenizing of like the Christmas genre. Even though it's written and directed by. Even though it's, yeah. Two white guys. <laughs> Two white guys, yeah. But but I'm, I'm with you on board there. Be sure to hang on to that Christmas spirit one more week when we finish our celebration of Powwow Highway, the Christmas miracle movie. Tune in the same indigenous time, same indigenous channel.